wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Maybe because he's Swiss, I don't know, in terms of European style. I can take you to Suplex City tonight, bitch. Can you say the alphabet backwards? Walk it with your ass backwards. You're not funny and nobody likes you. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight way! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Alright, so welcome back folks to WrestleRant. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews for December 22nd, 2015. This is WrestleRant Radio, the holiday episode. We're only three days away from Christmas on Friday, 2016, right around the corner. We're in the middle of WWE Week on the USA Network. We had the Slammy Wars last night, which I'll be talking about on today's episode. Super SmackDown Live tonight, and also tomorrow, Tribute to the Troops, which I might be talking about next week. We'll have to wait and see, as, as well as Super SmackDown, because that airs tonight. Uh, you know, I'm taping this in the middle of Tuesday. But um, still, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan, great time to be alive if you love the holidays, if you hate the holidays, maybe not so much, but um, I'm a huge holiday fan, I'm a huge Christmas fan, like I said, only three days away, I can't wait, hopefully you guys get everything you asked for and wanted and so on and so forth. But before we get started here, like I said, we we take no days off here in WrestleRant Radio. New episodes up every single Tuesday and or Wednesday. Last week we had a stacked episode, my final episode of the year, with that RJ underscore Marceau on the Twitter, my co-host of WrestleRant Radio. We, we talked about TLC, Raw, TakeOver, and everything else in between. Last week on WrestleRant Radio kind of wrapped up 2015 on Endicott College Campus. We'll be back to doing live episodes, hopefully I mean, the show will be back regardless with RJ um, in the end of January, the 26th, I believe, that episode, January 26th, that Tuesday, and then we'll see if we go live after that. I'll give you more details as we get closer to that date, but in the meantime, though, we have a stacked couple of weeks right here on WrestleRant Radio. I teased it last week, um, so today we're talking to former UFC fighter John Lewis, who's going to be starring in Checkpoint, which I also talked to Goldberg about about a month ago here on the show. We got John Lewis on the show here today to talk about his role in the film, transitioning from mixed martial arts to acting, you know, getting into character, his future in acting and in MMA, and so on and so forth. So it's a great interview. It's about 20 minutes long, and it's going to take up the first portion of the show here today. And then going forward next week, hopefully if we can hook up, I'm not exactly sure if he's going to be free or not, but... The tentative plan as of right now is to have at JNAP's Ring Rap John Knapp here on the show next week to break down the entire year of 2015 in wrestling, WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, everything else in between, um, specifically WWE and NXT, as we're going to be revealing the results of the 2015 WWE slash NXT Year in Review Awards, the third annual time, you know, the third time we're doing this um, consecutively since 2013. Gonna be revealing the results right here on the show next Tuesday. So, speaking of such, if you hate the Slammy Awards, you hate the fan voting, we do have fan voting for these as well. But I'm gonna guarantee you that it's not rigged. We don't have babyface fan voters. We don't have an app that you can vote on. You just vote right here on the website. Just go to Week in Review. There's gonna be a drop-down menu on the Year in Review Awards. You can vote right there for your favorite match of the year, wrestler of the year. Um, like I said, consisting of matches and superstars from NXT and WWE from the past year. Uh, wrestler of the Year, Match of the Year, Show of the Year, WWE Network Special of the Year, Biggest Disappointment of the Year, and everything else in between. they got a lot of great categories, um, so be sure to check that out. The results have been going great these last couple of years. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys voted as your very best and worst of 2015 in WWE and NXT. The polls close next week right after Raw on the 28th, and the results will be revealed on the 29th that next Tuesday. Like I said, if I hang out with John, we we talked about the results last year on the show. That's only because we had enough time, and if he's working or whatever, he might not be able to make the show, so we'll wait and see. But I'm hoping we can hang out, talk about the polls, talk about the results, talk about 2015. Either way, we will be revealing the results. Either I do it by myself or I'll be with John to do it, but it would be a lot cooler if I was with John to talk about it. Um, it's been a big year for him as well. We went to SummerSlam together in August. I was at TLC last week with RJ. I went to TNA's debut on Destination America, which is kind of irrelevant now because they're on Pop TV. But that was a fun time. I mean, easily, like I've said before, this isn't really a spoiler, but 2015 has been far and beyond my favorite year as a wrestling fan, which is not saying much because I've only been watching you know, consistently since 2008. 
But all things considered, I know the past month in WWE has not been amazing, but that's always been the case with uh, Raw and WWE and whatever. That the fall season always kind of, you know, it, it's it's shitty. That's usually what it is. The fall season from September to December, November, whatever, um, is usually not that great. But everything else before this, you know, everything else before this time period in wrestling, even last week's Raw was great. NXT alone has been worth watching, you know, may, has made 2015 must-see. You know, all the TakeOver specials, Beast in the East, and then you consider a great SummerSlam, a great WrestleMania, almost every pay-per-view being great. With the exception of maybe Survivor Series, but even that wasn't completely awful. There were some shot that were there. There were some shining spots there too, some highlights. Um, but regardless, though, 2015 has been a great year, start to finish. 2016 will have its work cut out for you, or will have its work cut out for it. So, like I said, next week the results of the 2015 WWE NXT Year in Review Awards only on NextEarWrestling.net. So, if you haven't already voted. You can't vote twice, and what I'm, uh, I insured that, and some people have asked me that, I'm pretty sure you can't, unless there's a technical glitch that I haven't seen or whatever, <clears throat> but I believe you cannot vote twice, so be sure to vote if you haven't already, right here on the website, go to WWE's uh, The Week in Review at the top of the page, there's a drop-down menu, and click on Year and Review Awards, polls close next Monday. So before we get into the interview, just a few more announcements, I'm sorry to kind of spam you with the first, you know, with these announcements in the first couple minutes of the show, but like I talked about my Facebook video blog that I teased last week here on WrestleRant Radio, and I talked about it on Twitter in the last couple days, we got merch out for WrestleRant Radio, very exciting, got an own t-shirt, eat, sleep, WrestleRant repeat with the WrestleRant logo on the back, that is just the, um, what's, the prototype, that's the word I'm looking for here, I do not know if that exact style of the shirt will be sold. I'm kind of looking for venues to sell the shirt on. I don't know if I'll be able to sell it here on the website just because I don't know how to ship anything out and all that kind of stuff. I don't really want to deal with that. I'm looking for other, you know, vendors, not venue, venues, um, vendors to help me ship out my shirt. And that should be coming in early 2016. I'm trying to work on it as we speak, kind of get a, I got a couple steps closer to that last night and kind of working with different vendors. So be on the lookout for that. You can represent the WrestleRant brand uh, at last by wearing your own Eat, Sleep, Wrestle, Rant, Repeat t-shirt, which will be coming soon, hopefully to a wrestling online store near you or online, <laughs> whatever, you know what I mean. So that's some pretty exciting news. The Royal Rumble game, which I'll be talking about more in depth in the next month. Hashtag GSM Trivia will be coming up on the first Tuesday of the year. Royal Rumble game is at the end of January. And that's about it. Oh, and also, too, in the next couple of weeks, like I said, next week is the Year in Review Awards, the revealing of that, hopefully with John. But then from that point forward, the first three weeks of January, we got some stacked interviews. Hopefully, I've yet to record the interview, but it should be going up on the first Tuesday of uh, of 2016 on January 5th, the same day that TNA debuts on Pop TV. We got TNA wrestler Bram, um, the former, no, not a tag team champion, but he was also formerly part of the Ascension in WWE. He's been in TNA for the last couple of years. So we'll be talking to him about his time in TNA. Checkpoint as well. He's also in that movie. I'm talking to pretty much every notable name from the cast. So he'll be on the show in a couple weeks, and two weeks to be exact, to talk about that. And then on January <clears throat> January 12th and 19th, those first two, the first, second and third Tuesdays of 2016, I'll be talking to former TNA World Heavyweight Champion and current GFW World Champion Magnus, Nick Aldis. I talked to him a couple weeks ago to talk about his new book coming out, his new book, his time in TNA, his time in GFW, and pretty much his entire career. So it's a very exciting interview. I conducted it, like I said, a few weeks ago. And because it was so lengthy, it's going to be a two-parter. We're going to be airing two parts here on WrestleRant Radio, the first 45 minutes on the 12th and the second 45 minutes on the 19th. So it's a two-part interview. Be sure to check that out in the next couple weeks. So we got a stacked lineup for WrestleRant Radio in the next month. Can't wait for it. It's going to be awesome. So without further ado, like I said, we'll get to the interview right here and right now. And then after that, I'll talk about the Slammy Awards. But... In the meantime, though, you guys can check out my exclusive interview right here, right now, with former UFC fighter John Lewis to talk about his role in the upcoming film hitting theaters Memorial Day weekend, Checkpoint. All right, so on the phone right now, we got UFC fighter and one of the stars in the upcoming film Checkpoint hitting theaters and Memorial Day weekend 2016, John Lewis. John, how's it going today? Oh, it's going great, man. Thanks for having us. Well, first and foremost, how did your role in Checkpoint come about? Well, uh, Tony Perez, he called me. Uh, we're working on a huge project together that we are you know, all very excited about, which is a different interview. But, but Tony called and asked if I would be into choreographing 
the final big fight scenes for the film. Yeah, so I began that process. And then he asked if I would consider, you know, fighting Kenny Johnson, the lead, in one of those scenes, and choreographing that scene as well. And I said, yeah, I'd do that as well. And, uh, and then, you know, next thing you know, they said they need to have some dialogue. So they were going to work on some dialogue for the project. And me as a writer, I said, let me give it a shot. So I wrote some dialogue for the scene that actually would, would be in myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, they ended up loving it, and then we ended up doing that. So pretty much it kind of started off with us doing another gig together, and then just kind of snowballed into what it became. So kind of based off that, how much input did you have in the film in terms of what you got to do, your dialogue and whatnot? Uh, actually, I wrote my whole thing. It was great. It, it totally gave me free reign to uh, play with this character once I wrote that part. They loved the scene that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, besides the action, of course, just actual uh, dialogue. And, uh, and that was some pretty clever, fun stuff to make that role have some significance. And, uh, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, I wrote the scene and knew how I wanted to shoot it and the whole nine yards. And they, they, went, they ran with it and, they, and it came out very good. Did you think that made it easier for you as opposed to someone just handing you a script and saying, here's what you're going to say, but you know, having the freedom of you know, writing your own character, your own dialogue, your entire scene, do you think that made it more fun and easier for you? I would say easier. I mean, I'm used to doing lots of dialogue and features and stuff, so I like, you know, I like a good writer's dialogue, but of course, you know, like I was able to make that character very cool. You know, usually I do bigger roles, so being that it wasn't a huge, huge role, um, I wanted to at least have, make, it, make it matter. That you would remember, so I was able to write. I was able to write a role that I would want to watch as a as a, a movie goer, you know. And it was so it was mm-hmm. fun to do. It was cool. It was uh, you know, the character became became really cool. And uh, yeah, it was neat. It was definitely a lot more fun because of that. So, what intrigued you the most about the role of James Brick Dean when it was first pitched to you for this movie? I mean, it was really like it was really what I'm saying. It's the fact that Tony Perez, you know, that he gave me the free reign to develop this character in any way that I wanted, as long as it made sense in a duration of time that we needed, um, he was really open to, to what I would bring to the table. Mm-hmm. So that was really, I mean, as an actor, you know, that's very intriguing when you can actually go in there and, and do something that you really want to do the way that you want to do it. It doesn't always happen that way. So that was very significant. So over the past decade, you've done a lot of different movies. What kind of made Checkpoint different from those films that you've already done in the past? Um, you know, I'm like a Tony like a, and his team. You know, they're really open to creative collaboration. You know, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. And as a producer, you know, I respected their approach, which their approach is pretty much, you know, whatever makes the film great, you know, we're open to discussing. So, like I say, you know, compared to a lot of other shows, other films where it's, you know, it's just, this is the way it's going to be, which, you know, which is fine. It, it, it's neat to be able to come into a situation where you can actually, you know, orchestrate what you're going to be doing with support and then helping you pull your vision across, make your vision happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and also, during the course of this film, you worked with, as a UFC fighter, you worked with, you know, former professional wrestler Goldberg, who I talked to the other day, and he said he was a huge fan of yours, and it was a thrill to work with you. You also worked with um, Bram Thomas from TNA Impact Wrestling. So, what was it kind of like to bring, uh, you know, people from different worlds, you being from Mixed Martial Arts UFC, them being from professional wrestling WWE TNA, what was it like to kind of work with them during the course of this film, in addition to everyone else that was on the cast? Yeah, that was really cool, you know, um... You know, Goldberg first, you know, I mean, I, I grew up loving Goldberg, mm-hmm. you know, in the WWE. Yeah, I wasn't a huge pro wrestling fan, but there, I was definitely a, a fan of specific individuals. Goldberg being one of them, you know, Dwayne Johnson being one of them back in those times. So it's like, it was somebody who I, I, I always wanted to meet. And, and me and, um, and Goldberg, we crossed paths in the martial, mixed martial arts side of the world because he's worked with some different fighters and stuff over time, but we never really met. So I've always wanted to work with him and meet with him. And when I found out that the first scene that I was uh, choreographing was for him and Bram, it was great. You know, it's great. First of all, you got guys who can take hits. They're not afraid to do stuff. They're not afraid of getting dinged up a little bit. So it, it opens the doors. And they also have a lot of chops as it is. So when you say, you know, you kind of can give them the technique that you want them to do, you don't really got to teach them too much of what the movement is because they know, you know, and they know how to take the ball properly. So I was really excited to get to, to work with them, especially Goldberg as far as of those guys you mentioned, um, and then getting to meet Kenny Johnson, who's just turned out to be an amazing person. He's a good, great actor, but he's a great guy, great guy to work with, positive mm-hmm. and, and enthusiastic. Uh, yeah, it was really cool to work with this, this, these specific actors. It definitely made a difference of why I wanted to do this project. And kind of going off that, was there any point during the film, during your action scenes and during your fight scenes and whatnot, like you mentioned, like guys like Goldberg and Bram, they could take a hit. They've been, you, you guys have been doing that your entire lives. Was there any point during the film where your UFC background kind of proved to be beneficial? Uh, 
100 percent. Because I'm, I mean, I'm a black belt in, in many different arts, um, and I am very well versed uh, and respected in that in that world. So, for me to to take what I do, what I do and make be able to create a, a great fight scene, incorporating all these different styles and things that I've learned and things that I know from professional fighting myself, I was, it, was, it definitely made a difference. Obviously, because I was able to choreograph some amazing um, fight stuff, which came out really, really good. And uh, you know, I mean, I'd say, and as an actor, um, I was able to give it the drama that I wanted. You know, as, as, a, as a movie goer, when I when I do these things, I kind of imagine what I want to see. If I was watching the film, what do I want to see? And that's how I approach it. I don't really. It's not any deeper than that. It's pretty much, if I was going to the movie, what do I want to see? So I, so I gave it great dramatic build-ups and into the fight scenes, and there's great beats between in the fight where you then can take in what's going on, and it, and it kind of reads, those two fight scenes at the end, you're going to see, they really read uh, very, very, very fun. You know, they, they're more than just a bunch of action. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say my career as a fighter made a whole difference in the world for those scenes. What would you say was your favorite part about filming Checkpoint? Um... Well, um, what was really cool was that when I got on set for this couple of days, that we were able to, not only was I able to write my scenes, not only was I able to, to, to develop the character that I wanted to, but pretty much Tony then gave me directorial control, and I was, I was pretty much running the cameras and running everything from behind the camera, running back and forth in front, resetting them up, making sure I had the angles that I needed, making sure that I had all the shots. So I pretty much directed those two days, which was really fun, too, because... Uh, you know, it's not like you just gave him your, your choreography and hope it comes out good. I was able to make sure that it was exactly what I, what I envisioned, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the action, scene, the action sequence that I had with Kenny Johnson, we were given a, given a very, very small space. Do you think you couldn't do anything in? And what was really cool about that is I was, had to become creative, and I, and I came, up, came up with a very cool close quarter style fight that happens, I mean, four feet in width for two big guys. And it came off amazing, so that gave me some challenges, but at the same time, it made for a very unique fight scene, you know, so that was really, really fun for me as well. So I think those are some of the some highlights that I had, direct, pretty much directing those, mm-hmm. those days, as well as creating this scene that is how you're going to make something amazing in this short, this little space, and we really did. Mm-hmm. For you, how was it different training for like a UFC fight, something that you've been doing, you know, your entire career for years and years and years. How is something like that preparing for a fight different than preparing for a movie? Or or do you think there's more similarities than differences? You know, I think acting and fighting are identical. I mean, minus getting begun, of course. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, you know, well, I mean, I guess that happens too sometimes, I suppose, in acting, you get beat in different ways. But Mm -hmm. um, in acting, it's, it's all about being in the present moment. Know, listening and then and then reacting to what's happening, and fighting is exactly the same. I mean, your opponent speaks with a, a combative technique, and you got to be a hundred percent there and present in that moment, and answer back with an appropriate reply. You know, in the form of a counterattack. So, the same thing when you act. When you ask someone speaks, you have to listen. You have to pay attention, and then you and you come back with your reply. So, it's, to me, when I teach, even when I teach privates to a lot of celebrities or actors. Um, in martial arts or get them ready for scenes, I usually speak as if I'm almost an acting coach because once you get them to understand, you know, all you have to do is just watch what I do, listen to what I do, watch what I do, and I'm going to give you something. And you have to pay attention and then you have to give me something back. And that's exactly what acting is. It's listening and replying. So I think it's pretty, pretty much identical to me in my mind, which is why I like the craft so much of acting. Mm-hmm. So as the character of Brick, did you feel like Brick in the movie was you, you know, going into a fight, or is it a completely different obstacle to kind of tackle, and you have to get in the mindset of getting into that character of Brick? Was it you, or a completely different, or maybe you turns up, you know, turned up by 10? Uh, how would you say the similarities between you and uh, Brick were in the movie? Yeah, i say you're right. Brick was me, and I was Brick. I mean, I was me in Brick's circumstances, mm-hmm. except that I may, you know, I had a little different swagger I had Mm-hmm. And, and make it interesting. 
So you mentioned Dwayne Johnson before The Rock, who for Goldberg, a guy like him, a wrestler turned actor, has you know obviously gotten so much success in Hollywood over the past decade or so, especially in recent years. Um, but when you go over to the MMA world, there's not many guys that have turned actors. I mean, there's Chuck Liddell, the most notable one, um, but you're kind of among a few elite people to kind of go from UFC and kind of doing it at the same time, but to go from mixed martial arts and then translate those talents to the silver screen. So to be among that elite group of UFC guys turned actors, what does that mean to you? Well, let me tell you, there's, there's Gina Carano, who probably mm-hmm. did it first and the best. Um, I'm sorry, my alarm is Someone's driving by loud here if you can't hear me. Ronda Rousey, fine. you know, um, mm-hmm. right now she's shooting a Peter Berg film, big mm-hmm. film. She also did uh, that Fast 7 recently. And Quentin Jackson did the A-Team, right? He was mm-hmm. he was D.A. Brackus. Yeah, of course. Um, but there's been a, a few others who did some really notable stuff, you know. Um, and I don't really see myself that way. The difference between me and them is that they came, a lot of them were given opportunities based on their current status in the martial arts, like for instance, you know, Gina or Ronda, the champion right then, and everybody was digging on her, so they get a phone call from the, the studio, not even for an audition, just offering her a role, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. Where, now me, I, I retired over 10 years ago, and I wanted to, do, to, 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 to come to this class, so I didn't come, I didn't get my job as an actor because I was already someone in the MMA. Most of the time, when I go into the room or when I am brought in for a role, they don't even know my history. And then my, my agent will let them know who I was or what my skill sets are. Mm-hmm. But I, the majority of my films have been romantic comedies and dramas, you know, very few fight scenes. So um, I kind of consider myself um, more of a real actor in a way that I, I study just as hard for acting as I do for, for fighting. I, I go to classes and I, and, I, and I take it very, very seriously that way. So it's not like I got these jobs because of who I am as a fighter. So I think, um, you know, that's, that's a little different. But I do, but, you know, they're all developing fine actresses and actors, especially Gina. Um, but, yeah, it's a little different for me because when I came into this, it was the same way that everybody comes into Hollywood and says, I want to be an actor. And you're one of millions and millions of people to say that every day. And you have to earn it on your stripes. And so I'm doing that. I've been doing very, very well in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I think in even some ways, I think that might be better. Because like you said, I think you worked your way up, not based off just notoriety from UFC, but like you said, people like Ronda Rousey, Chuck Adele, Gina Carano, who, you know, not to say they were just given the role, but in a way they kind of were, like you said. But I think, you know, in the way that you did, it kind of worked your way up the ladder and to kind of get bigger roles each and every movie that you work. Now you're working Checkpoint, which hits theaters next year a major motion, a motion picture. So I think it's kind of different. And like you said, I, I personally think it might be better in a way to kind of work yeah, your way up. And, you know, yeah, exactly. I think, well, I think there would be respect in the long term that way as mm-hmm. an actor, which is what I want to do. My role, like I say, I'm not trying to be, I love doing action sequences, but my goal is not to be the next, you know, I don't know, uh, I don't want to say Jason Statham because he's a very fine actor, but say Jean-Claude where it's specifically he had a window on mm-hmm. the action films in that past. No, I'm, I'm capable of standing in front of any level actor and, and and running a scene that's very memorable based on my acting chops. And that's what's going to be more long-term, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so well, kind of going off that, do you want to, going forward, long-term, like you said, do you want to be more of a jack-of-all-trades, so to speak, than, you know, just tied to just action films? Like, you know, obviously the stereotype would be when you're going into a film, always oh, a UFC fighter, he's just going to do action films, but that's not the case at all. So going forward, long-term... Uh. Your legacy as an actor, do you want to kind of be known as, like I said, like a jack-of-all-trades, doing all these different kind of things based off your talents and being able to show that you can do these different movies um, as opposed to just being tied down to just one genre of a film? Yeah, you know, yeah, I see myself more like a Denzel or like a or Tom Hardy where it's, you can definitely be a great action guy if he wants to do the right, those kind of scenes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I am thinking how I can be, a, you know, some, a funny comedian. You know, it depends on what the situation is. So... I, I'm more of a jack of all trades, more um, diversity, uh, depth in different roles, loving to get into deep characters and, and a method style and, and, and uh, really developing those characters and, and being something different. I shot a, I shot a pilot for uh, Ram Sam Raimi recently for a lead um, in a film called Dawn, in which I played uh, a Neanderthal character. That, it basically, that film is based on the Neanderthals when they crossed over with the Indians. Mm-hmm. And I was the lead of the feature, and uh, me and a me and a young man named Aramis Knight was now the lead on um, Badlands, the kid. So, and I was the father, and he was the son, and it, it was really cool. I mean, it was a whole other thing. We're full prosthetics, and you know, it had nothing to do with 
throwing a kick. You know, it was it was a, a cheer-wracking piece with emotion, and, and that's really what excites me, playing real roles with real depth um, that I can really sink my teeth into and, and develop. And also in the last couple of years, too, I mean, you focused a lot more on your acting career than mixed martial arts as that kind of career winds down. Other than just acting, do you have any other avenues or anything else you want to kind of put full emphasis on, or is it just full focus on acting going forward? It's acting and producing. I'm producing features. Um, I, I write. I'm a writer. Um, the next One of the next films that I'm doing, mm-hmm. which we'll get into later. I don't want to get too much into it now because I'm sure we'll talk again for that. Um, but it's, but it's, a, it's a, a very big feature that uh, I wrote as well and producing, um, and it's going to be the uh, first quarter of next year. Um, and that's really what I'm doing. I'm writing films. I'm, I'm acting and producing them. Um, I have a lot of relationships in the industry over the years. Um, and, I, and I'm a strong producer that way. So I use those. I have the producing chops to be valuable in that world. But the passion, the love, is being in front of the camera. I mean, I've always been, you know, I, I was a signed recording artist at one time when I was younger. And then I ended up going into, uh, you know, other different things. Professional dancer at one point and on, a, on a high level, you know, doing shows in Vegas and all that when I was a kid. And then, mm-hmm. I, you know, of course, I was a fighter and world champion there, which, which is the guy in front of the camera once again. And once again, you know, that's something that you kind of you get that bug when you grow up. I kind of want to be that guy, you know, and, it, and that's what's important to me, being the guy that, that moves people. And when, when I watch a movie and I'm emotionally driven in either direction from watching a great performance, that's what I want to do for people. I want to, I want to move people, and that happens in front of the camera. But I'm able to do the other side as well, so why not produce films that I'm in as well? Exactly. Kind of having the best of both worlds, being able to direct and produce and being in front of the camera. Like, like I said before, something that a lot of people can't even lay claim to doing. Like the mentions, like the names I talked about before, like Ronda Rousey that you mentioned too, yeah. Gina Carano, like those people, they didn't even like long term, like you said, very different from you and that they were just kind of given roles. They don't really have any acting background, just kind of got there off of their notoriety. But even those people don't do acting or producing or anything along those lines. And I think that's kind of what makes your skill set as a you know former UFC fighter and also um, now an actor, director, and producer. What kind of makes you different from all the rest? But like I mentioned, yeah, yeah. you know, well, like you said, you got many other projects coming up in the first half of 2016. Fans can look out for that. But first and foremost, people could check out Checkpoint in theaters Memorial Day weekend 2016. John, thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it, man. Hey, thank you very much, and I appreciate the support we all do. No, no problem, dude. Have a great holiday. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, sir. Thanks once again to John for his time. Had a great time talking to him. Like I said earlier, you can check out Checkpoint in theaters Memorial Day weekend 2016. It's going to be big. Starring Goldberg, Bram from TNA, Bill Goldberg, that is former WCW and WWE World Heavyweight Champion. My interview with him is up from last month right here on WrestleRant Radio. Thanksgiving week. Be sure to check that out right here on WrestleRant Radio. So for the rest of the show, I'll be talking about the 2015 Slammy Awards, which were last night on Monday Night Raw, I believe in... Where was this show? Oh, Minneapolis, of course, because it was Brock Lesnar's hometown, and when he didn't, when they, when he didn't show up, it was a big disappointment. <clears throat> but nevertheless, we will be talking about those here today, as well as you know, we'll we'll go, we'll run down the winners of the Slammy Awards first, then I'll get to the matches from the show. So for the 2015 Slammy Awards, I've been talking about these for years now. You know, I've ranted about them on YouTube, right here on uh, Wrestle Rant Radio about whether they're rigged or not. From what I understand, from what I've heard, I mean, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. But from my perception, they are not rigged, but they are... The fan voting is legitimate. And that it sure as hell looked that way last night on Raw. I mean, mostly all the baby faces won. And you can make a case for pretty much everyone who won the award last night. Anyone who won an award, it made sense in terms of, like, fan voting. John Cena obviously won here. He won an award. Seth Rollins was the only real shocker. I fully expected it to be Roman Reigns or someone like that. But um, still, I mean, that was a cool little surprise, and he showed up, and I'll be talking about that very briefly. But um, other than that, Neville winning. I mean, I'll, we'll go down the full list here. I mean, I know the Slammy Awards are pretty meaningless, but I feel I, I figured it'd be uh, only fitting if I give my thoughts on each Slammy Award winner and to see if they were you know deserving of the award or not. So we had the Tag Team of the Year, the Usos, which was a horrible way to start off the Slammy Wars, and I think it was revealed on WWE.com. I'm pretty sure all of these were fan voting, not just some of them. I'm pretty sure all of them were fan voting. The Usos, I get, are popular, and they were, I think, the only babyface team with the exception of the primetime players in the voting, and of course, they're not going to win. So, ridiculous. I mean, what is it really to say about the Usos winning the Tag Team of the Year? They were gone for seven months. They got One of them got injured right after WrestleMania and had been gone since early November. So how do you win a tag team of the year when you only held the tag team titles for a cup of coffee for the first two months of the year? 
and then dropped them, lost to WrestleMania, got injured, and were gone for seven months. How does that work? Again, I'm not going to spend too much time ranting on these because I know they're meaningless. The fan voting is just dumb. But anyway, that was just a terrible way of starting off the Slammy Awards. It should have gone to the New Day, you know, uh, without a doubt. The New Day have been the best thing. If they're not going to even win Tag Team of the Year, give them Superstar of the Year. I know Seth Rollins has been great, but the New Day have really taken 2015 by storm after going heel back in the spring, winning the <clears throat> winning the Tag Team titles twice and having a great run with, um, with the titles both times and just being one of the single best parts of Raw for the past six or seven months. But anyway... So Tag Team of the Year went to the Usos, which was bullshit, should have gone to the New Day. Best Johnson, the U.S. Open Challenge, went to Cesaro with his match with the uh, the Swiss Superman on the July 6th edition of Raw. No no, um, you know, no, no debate there, I felt like that was fine. I would have gone with Sami Zayn, but that match was great, main event at Raw that night, so that was a great match. Hashtag of the Year, hashtag Suplex City, um, you know, that was fine, don't really care about hashtags. Celebrity Moment of the Year, Stephen Mill at SummerSlam. I would have gone with Jon Stewart. I was shocked he didn't win either that one or the Double Cross of the Year. Just because that guy has been the, I would say the best, but he's been only among the few to have um, guest-hosted Raw this year. Not guest-hosted, but appear on Raw a, as a celebrity. <clears throat> the only celebrity to appear on Raw for the most part in 2015, getting more airtime than just about anyone else, including Stephen Mill. He was on that awesome Raw back in March. He was at SummerSlam, he was on the Raw after SummerSlam, and um, I was there at SummerSlam when he turned on John Cena to help Seth Rollins win the U.S. and WWE titles because he felt like it would have been a sham if John Cena surpassed Ric Flair's 16 World Championships reign, that record. So that was a cool swerve. I know a lot of people didn't really approve of it because it shit on the match, it was a terrible finish. I liked it, I thought it was a nice little surprise. Um, but yeah, that was good. Uh, you know, Stephen Amell winning wasn't really that bad. I mean, the worst thing they could have possibly done was give it to the Entourage with introducing Zack Ryder on Raw back in Memorial Day, which wasn't awful, but, I mean, come on. Jon Stewart, I thought, had that in the bag, but Stephen Amell was a nice runner-up. He has so many fans, though, because he had so many fans voting on him, uh, voting for him in the weeks leading up to the Slammys, so that made sense. Tell me you didn't just say that moment of the year, Brock Lesnar coined Suplex City at WrestleMania 31. Fine. Rivalry of the year went to Brock Lesnar and Undertaker. That was fine. I, I figured that would win. I would have given it to John Cena and Kevin Owens, which was not nominated for whatever reason. Cena and Rusev was terrible. Rollins and Orton was a nice runner-up, I felt like. Um, the PCB, Divas Revolution was the worst of them all, so I'm glad that didn't win. But Lesnar and Undertaker was fine. Best original WWE Network show... The Stone Cold Podcast, which is awesome. I know Stone Cold says all the time on his podcast, on Podcast One, that he has yet to win an award. He has an award-winning podcast that has yet to win an award, and it just won an award. I mean, maybe not that show on Podcast One, but the one on the network, which is cool. So the Slammy Award winner for Best Network Show, The Stone Cold Podcast, and very well-deserved. There wasn't a bad show in that category. You had WWE 24, Swerved, Breaking Ground, Table for Three, and The Stone Cold Podcast. All were awesome. I've enjoyed the WWE Network um, very much throughout 2015. A lot of great programming on the network. Double cross of the year. Damian Mizdow turns on the Miz. Nice little surprise. I thought it should really should have gone to again John Stewart, but the Mizdow thing was good. The only thing I would have you know nitpicked about it was that the aftermath was awful. So I'm surprised people remember Mizdow at all, considering he hasn't even been on Raw in like at least seven or six months. But um, that was cool, and I also liked how they did the backstage segment afterwards with Mizdow or Sandow, whatever you want to call him. In the Miz, and Miz accepted the award only for Sandow to come in and take the award from him and kind of say that, you know, for a guy that hasn't been on Raw in, in six to seven months, he's in the top ten voting for Superstar of the Year. So that was pretty cool. But, um, yeah, he was he won the double cross of the year. Um, Extreme moment of the year went to Roman Reigns attacking Triple H at TLC, which I thought was, it was a great moment. I was there. The crowd went crazy. But it, technically, it wasn't really extreme. I mean, then again, neither was the brawl between Lesnar and Taker, but... Come on, that really should have won. That brawl was, you know, I think that was the... Lesnar was nominated for so many awards, I don't know which one it was. Uh, maybe it was the car bashing? I'm not exactly sure, but um, I wouldn't have given it to Roman Reigns at TLC. That was a great attack and all, but come on. That was just recent. That's probably the only real reason why people voted on it was because it was so recent and fresh in their mind. But anyway, fine moment. Breakout star of the year went to Neville, which I thought was complete bullshit. Really should have gone to Kevin Owens. I mean, how could it not go to Kevin Owens? I know, again, it's fan voting. People voted for the baby faces for the most part. But what has Neville done? Neville, by and large, throughout 2015, I've said this time and time again here on WrestleRant Radio. RJ's talked about it too. 
The guy's been a loser. I love Neville. I think he's a great wrestler, but at the same time, they have not done anything of note with him since he debuted in the main roster the night after WrestleMania. You got a couple great matches out of Seth Rollins and John Cena, but then after that, he had a throwaway feud with Bo Dallas, which lasted all of like two weeks. He had a throwaway feud with Stardust, which lasted maybe a month or two, which was pretty much a waste of time. And then after that, what has he been doing since then? He's been feeding with The Miz, which is fine, but he rarely wins on Raw, so why would he win the the breakout star of the year? Because he could do a flippity doodah in the ring. You know, that really should have gone to Kevin Owens, beat John Cena his first night in, won the Intercontinental Championship, um, won the NXT Championship in NXT two months to the day of when he debuted in the, pro- in the uh, developmental brand. So I felt like he had that in the bag. Again, I'm not going to rant too much about it because these are kayfabe awards and a lot of the results were bullshit, but I thought that was stupid and it really should have gone to Owens. Owens rightfully, you know, um, he argued that and he interrupted Neville and Neville just walked away like a puss. And then he brawled with Dolph Ziggler leading to a match later on in the night, which I'll get to soon enough. Um, LOL moment of the year went to R-Truth interrupting the Money in the Bank participants and the Fatal 4-Way WWE World Heavyweight Championship Tournament participants a couple of months ago, I think last month on SmackDown. That was fine. I'm not a huge R-Truth fan, but I thought that was funny. So um, I was fine with that winning. The OMG shocking moment of the year went to Kalisto, Salida Del Solo, TLC. It was an amazing moment, but the fact that it didn't go to Seth Rollins cashing into WrestleMania I thought was a sham. Again, not going to rant about it. And just because the, the only real reason why Kalisto won that award or that moment won the award was because it was so fresh in everyone's mind. Again, one of the most incredible things I've ever seen live, but... Nothing should have beat out, you know, Rollins cashing in at WrestleMania. At least Sheamus winning. At least Sheamus cashing in didn't win. At least we could say that much. Um, Superstar of the year went to Seth Rollins. Again, a nice little surprise. I figured it would go to John Cena or Roman Reigns or some other babyface, but it went to Seth Rollins, so some nice proper voting there. I wouldn't be surprised if they had, um, if that one was rigged just because they brought Rollins in. If he didn't win, then why would he come out, you know? So that was a cool moment. He deserved it. 2015 has been the year of Seth Rollins. And um, and he teased, you know, coming back and winning back his championship. Nothing we haven't heard from him before on Twitter and whatever, but it was still cool to see Seth Rollins. And I think the only guy to really accept his award because everyone else was gone. So um, that was cool. After that, we had the surprise return of the year. Or no, we had the Hero and All of Us uh, award that was sponsored by Coca-Cola. Won by John Cena for all his charity work. And I'm not taking away from John's... It's it's stupid to vote on who does the most charity work to begin with. That's a fucking dumb award. They should just give the award, like the Warrior Award. Just give it to somebody. Don't have people vote on it. I thought that was dumb in and of itself, but Titus O'Neil really should have won that. Cena already gets commended enough for his charity work. Titus O'Neil gets very little to any exposure. The only exposure that we know of that he does charity work is from his own Twitter, with him talking about it. You know, not like, oh, I did this today, but... You know, um, some news sites get some coverage of it every once in a while, but more often than not, he kind of gets, you know, cast away, cast to the side. And I feel like he really should have gotten his just due here by, um, one second, I'm looking at something here. What is this? Oh, never mind. I'm looking at something from Twitter. My apologies. But anyway, um, yeah, John Cena, I thought Titus O'Neil really had that one in the bag, but I was kind of disappointed he didn't win. But John Cena is not a bad choice. I just thought. Because more people know John Cena and what he does for, you know, the charities and stuff. So I'm I'm not surprised he won, but it really should have gone to Tedis O'Neill. Surprise return of the year went to Sting, which was fine. I really would have given it to the Dudley Boys. They had the biggest pop out of anyone on that list of coming back. And Sting, of course, was not there to accept it. Diva of the year went to Nikki Bella, who has also been out for the better part of the last two months. But um, she was there to accept and wearing some see-through dress, which was... I mean, I'm not complaining. She looked hot in it, but it was just like, is this PG? So at least she was there to accept it. And they did some Steve Harvey moment, which I've only heard very briefly about from the Miss Universe competition, whatever it is. And someone said um, that this person won, but no, I'm sorry, this person actually won or whatever. They copied that on the show with Paige winning and then... R-Truth saying he made a mistake and it was actually Nikki Bella, whatever. Um, they wanted to, you know, capitalize off the, the uh, real-life botch at the other competition just recently. They would have been fools not to capitalize on it because it was so recent. But anyway, just like they did with Kanye and Batista a couple years ago, or not, and Maria and Batista and Kanye style. Remember that? It was at the 09 Slammy Awards, which I watched in the network, and my full review, is, uh, my full review of it is currently up on Wrestling.net. Cheap plug. But it was a great moment. I think Maria won the award for Diva of the Year, which was also very mind-boggling. And then right after that, Batista came out on a pink t-shirt, and he said, <laughs> it was so funny. 
He said, um, no one cares about her. This isn't about her. This is about me getting fucked over at TLC, getting screwed out of the World Heavyweight Championship. It was so funny. And they tried once again to capitalize off the mainstream attention of this moment by having it, you know, by doing it with our truth page and Nikki Bella. But anyway, Nikki Bella, a lot of people think that, you know, Sasha Banks should have won. But, um, you know, let's face it. Nikki Bella was Divas champion for nine months of the year. There was no real way that she wouldn't have won it. So she had to win it from a storyline standpoint. This is awesome moment of the year. Went to the Rock and Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania 32, or 31 rather. And again, no one was there to accept it. And finally, the match of the year went to Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. Once again, no one there to accept it. Um, But Paul Heyman did on the behalf of the Beast. But, you know, I thought not to say that they should have brought Brock Lesnar, but they played his music and the crowd got all excited like, oh shit, our boy's here in Minneapolis. And then Paul Heyman came out instead, who we already saw earlier in the evening, and it was kind of a disappointment, so that was, you know, that was pretty dumb. But, um, anyway, I mean, it was a cool little moment, it was a, you know, it was a great match, I would not at all call that the match of the year, I would, I still say Bailey and Banks from Brooklyn at TakeOver in August was the, uh, 2015 match of the year, but even not including NXT, I would still say the match of the year would go to either the Triple Threat, that was also up for a nomination here, from the Rumble between Rollins, Cena, and Lesnar, or Cena and Owens from Elimination Chamber, which was also nominated but did not win. <clears throat> so Taker and Lesnar was great, but I wouldn't call it match of the year. And those were the 2015 Slammy Award winners. A lot of these were bullshit. A lot of these people were not here to accept the awards. And why would they be? Because they're meaningless They're meaningless awards to begin with. But um, yeah, it was a nice little moment. It was, you know, it, it was cool to see Seth Rollins. It was great to see Seth Rollins, but... Everyone else, all the other awards were pretty much bullshit with the exception of the Diva of the Year, maybe, and the Superstar of the Year. Um, it, it was just a waste. I, I still say the Slammy Awards should be relegated to the WWE Network. Why not? Because I know the real reason why they brought them back to begin with back in 2008, I feel like, when they brought them back after like 10 or so years. They brought them back as a regular special on Raw every December because... Um, as a ratings ploy, which I get, maybe it made more sense back in 08 because the ratings were shit, I don't know, I mean, they were a lot better than they are now, but I don't think they're, they're doing the ratings any justice, and I think a prime example is that the Raw rating from, when was it, um, or last week, obviously, from last week's Raw was like up 800,000 viewers, it got like a three point something, it was an amazing number, or at least a two point, you know, the, the numbers were a lot higher than usual. It wasn't like a 2.1, it was like a 2.8 or whatever. One of the highest numbers they've gotten since the summer, or at least in a long, 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 long time. And that was as a result of fallout from a pay-per-view, big title change, great booking, great matches, great pace. It was a very good show. You don't need a, a, a phony award show to bring up ratings. I don't think, traditionally speaking anyway, the Slammy Awards have done anything for the ratings. If I remember correctly... The recent Slammy Awards in the last couple of years have only decreased viewership and ratings because no one cares about these shows because they're so fucking awful. I enjoy them some years because we get some surprise returns. Like we got Rollins last night. We got Ric Flair one year. Kane a couple years ago. Kane came back last. I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, anyway, you know, I, I like it for the surprises. But other than that, the awards themselves are meaningless. The, the fan voting is just stupid. I don't even think they're rigged. I think it's just... I think it's just people vote for who they like, you know, not who's, who's the best candidate. It's purely a popularity contest. So it's bullshit. I never really take them seriously, and that's why I don't like them. Um, but anyway, yeah, the awards were just meaningless. It was a waste of time. The three hours dragged beyond belief. And I mean, I hate to complain about it, but the show sucked. I mean, from the awards standpoint, I haven't even gotten to the matches yet. But my point is, is that the awards should be just relegated to the WWE Network or the pre-show or something. What they had going on the pre-show before Raw started, when they would you know show the nominees and they would give away the re- the, the winner, the result, whatever, like just having Booker T or Renee Young you know give it away or something, and then they uh, go to a video package from someone accepting it, like they did with Bob Barker a couple years ago, like a pre-taped video package, something like that would be great. Why not just do something like that? You know what I mean? Because these awards just mean nothing. No one shows up to accept them anyway, so you might as well just have them. You might as well just say the match of the year was so-and-so, and they're not going to accept the awards doing acceptance speech because there's no one ever fucking there. No one's ever there to accept these awards. Lesnar wasn't there. Cena wasn't there. Sting wasn't there. All these people aren't there. So why would you even bother? You know what I mean? It's just dumb. The Rock wasn't there. I don't expect them to be, but it just makes these awards feel completely meaningless. And I'm speaking as if they weren't meaningless before, and they always really kind of have been, but... 
The point I'm trying to make is that going forward, I know the USA Network loves the idea of an award show, but it's not doing the ratings any any justice. I'm recording this on Tuesday, so I don't know if the rating's up or not. I highly doubt it. Coming off that great raw, great rating last night, I highly doubt it really did anything to the ratings whatsoever. Um, but nevertheless, we'll see where it goes from here, like in, in future years. I'm pretty sure they'll probably continue doing it as a raw special every December, but I still say they should just relegate it to the network because... It's not a good wrestling show. All the matches on the show, for the most part, weren't good. We had a couple good matches, which I'll get to in a second. But the awards were a waste of time. It was so formulaic. Showing the nominees, going to commercial, like that's gonna, like that's a hook for people to come back. Because no one fucking cares. Because they know they're not going to show up to accept the award. And the awards are meaningless, you know? So, yeah. It, w- it was a waste. I'm just really hoping the Slammies become... Either get rid of them all together... Or you just have them be a network thing on like a Saturday night, you know, and not an episode of Raw. Because mixing the wrestling with the award shows, with the, with the award winning and whatever, is just not a good mix. It's rarely ever made for a good show from WWE. So I'm hoping in future years they'll just scrap it all together or just relegate it to the network. So on that note, we'll move forward here with my review of Raw from last night for December 21st, 2015. Also the Slammy Awards, but I'll be just talking about the matches here. Kicking off the show was Stephanie McMahon basically coming out, talking about Roman Reigns, knocking out her father and husband last week in Raw and TLC, respectively. Roman Reigns comes out, back talks her, turns his back to her, which was great. I liked how Roman Reigns, you know, showed some balls here, finally, because Stephanie's been emasculating everybody in the roster for years now. I talked about this with RJ. There's a clip on the YouTube channel from WrestleRant Radio uh, from last Wednesday, but I talked about how Stephanie... She never gets her comeuppance, ever. I mean, Triple H does, Vince does, most of the authority does, but Stephanie never does. I'm not saying Roman should have hit her or anything like that, but at least block the shots that when she tried to slap him or did slap him last week in Raw. Thankfully, this was not a repeat of that. Roman showed some balls, finally. He walked up the ramp. He just he walked up the uh, back up through the crowd and just left. He would you know, reemerge after the main event or during the main event. But it was nice to see someone finally stand up to Stephanie and not just... Stand there and take her punishment. Um, but hopefully he saw that when, when she said that she would put the Usos in a handicap match against the New Day or that she was going to put Dean Ambrose in a steel cage with Sheamus in the main event. Hopefully he saw that coming. Otherwise, he looks like a terrible person. So I'm hoping that... Because if I'm the Usos or Dean Ambrose, I'm like, what the fuck, bro? Why, why would you do that? Why would you put us in a bad position? So I'm hoping that he knew in, that, in walking away that he was going to get them in trouble. But... Anyway, it was a good segment to kick off the show, and everything else kind of fell apart from there, but um, it was a good segment. So after that, our first official match of the night, Bray Wyatt taking on Kane, who randomly resurfaced out of nowhere. The guy's been gone since Survivor Series. He comes back, his pyro goes off like nut- like he was never, ever gone. The commentators are like, oh, here comes Kane, uh, but where has he been for the past month? Why is he back anyway? Like, why would you bring back Kane? Obviously, they're just spinning their wheels with the Wyatt family before before their next feud, or, I mean, I, I fully expect it for their feud, their next feud to kick off on this show, but like I said last week here on the show, I feel like they will probably kill time with the Wyatt family before the Rumble, and all four guys will be in the Rumble match, because they have the numbers advantage, but, so until then, I fully expect to see more matches like this, but it felt like a total waste of time. Kane and Wyatt went for all of a minute before it ended in a DQ, and then the Dudley Boys and Tommy Dreamer came out. Now, Tommy Dreamer said on, on Twitter last week that, Last week's Raw in Philly was his final match, and as it should have been, I love Tommy Dreamer. That was a great match. He had a great showing. But what's the point in bringing him back? I know he's working house shows from now on for like the next month or so, I feel like. I think he's he's going to be at a house show this Sunday here in Connecticut. But um, anyway, I mean, it's cool that he's sticking around, but why on TV? You know, he, I, he can still stick around and do house shows, but on TV, there's no real purpose in keeping him around. They ended the ECW and Wyatt Family Feud. They had two great matches at TLC and Raw, respectively. I just hated seeing the babyfaces lose. Again, I'm not saying they should have won here, but then why do the match in the first place? You know, the Dudley boys have lost now three times to the Wyatt Family. Why would you have them lose again? And the Wyatt Family, it's, I, I'm so happy to see them finally gaining momentum, but they're not going to gain momentum in beating people they already beat. You know, Kane and the Dudley boys and Tommy Dreamer are such a mishap of a team. A bunch of misfits. It just made no sense. The match was the throwaway match. I'm glad the Wyatt family won, but it just shouldn't have happened to begin with. Kane came back for no real reason. He'll probably be in the Rumble, but again, where has he been for the past month? If they didn't, if they planned on sticking, having him stick around and not working a part-time deal, 
then why would he have just randomly come back last night without any, you know, notification or without any advertisement or anything? They didn't make a big deal about it whatsoever. I know Kane is Kane, but it was just stupid. It was so dumb how he just came out without any explanation. I know this is typical WWE. You shouldn't be ranting about this. You should have expected this, but I'm just saying it just boggled my mind, and this is only 20 minutes into the show that this happened, so... I don't know what's next for the Wyatt family. Like I said last week, I feel like they'll be in the Rumble match. Or they'll have the numbers game. They'll have the, you know, the numbers advantage. I've read reports that he might face Bray Wyatt, that is, Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Which, it gets mixed feelings from me. Because I've said in the past that Brock Lesnar should be facing people that he's never faced before in fresh faces. Wyatt, I don't think Lesnar and Wyatt would be a draw. Then again, neither would Lesnar and fucking, like, Cesaro. Like, a match that we all want to see. There's not really a difference. I'm not trying to do double standards here. I'm just saying that um, I I don't think Wyatt and Lesnar... It'd be a good little match for WrestleMania, but at the same time, Lesnar would win. Lesnar would win. There's no way that he's jobbing to Bray Wyatt. And that said, Bray Wyatt would have to lose again at WrestleMania for three fucking years in a row, killing any momentum that he's had over the last couple months. They've done this year after year. In 2013 and in 2014, those fall winter sessions, those seasons, Wyatt would go on a roll. He would beat <clears throat> Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan, uh, Dean Ambrose, Dolph Ziggler, and then when it came to WrestleMania, he would lose to John Cena and then The Undertaker. Yes, he had a good showing, but what did it do for him? The guy was back to being an, a glorified mid-carder by the spring. It did nothing for him. I, I don't care what anyone says. The feat of John Cena was a total waste of time. It was. We got a, a few decent matches out of it, but they weren't great enough to the point where I feel like I would have been missing out if we never had them. The Undertaker, the same exact thing. The match at WrestleMania was good. It was a good match, but he went on to do nothing. Bray Wyatt was off TV for the better part of the next like three months before the Wyatt family finally reunited. It was so stupid. <clears throat> so anyway, I don't know what's next for him, and I'm hoping this is not leading... I mean, a Lesnar match would not be the worst thing in the world. At least he'd be in a prominent match at WrestleMania. But I feel like Lesnar's either facing Roman again. Sheamus, I don't, I don't think that's happening. That's like a you know a house show match at this point. Because Sheamus is a fucking loser. Um, who else? You know, Am- nah, not Ambrose. Uh, Roman, I've said Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens makes more sense than fucking Bray Wyatt. I know they're kind of in the same boat. And both teams kind of have momentum. But at least Owens... He's not a loser. Bray Wyatt's a loser. They've won against the ECW Originals. That's great. That's awesome. But they need to win their next feud as well. They can't just be built up only to lose to a big-time star. It's so formulaic. We've seen it time and time again with this guy. He needs the opportunity to shine. And it can't come in a match against Brock Lesnar because you know he's not going to win. And Lesnar will destroy the entire Wyatt family. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But um, yeah, the match on Monday was just completely meaningless. After that, we had Kevin Owens and Dolph Ziggler. A pretty good match. I enjoyed it for what it was. That it was, um, you know, both guys made the time, made the best of the time that they had. I like the little three-way feud that we're getting right now with Owens, Ziggler, and Dean Ambrose over the Intercontinental Championship. They're facing off in a triple threat tonight for that title on Super SmackDown, which is great. I love it. Um, and I feel like they'll either give us the rematch between Ambrose and Ziggler, or sorry, Ambrose and Owens on the first Raw of the year, or the Royal Rumble. I'm not really sure, but. They've had a nice little feud going between these three guys and making Ziggler somewhat relevant again. I mean, more so than it could be said, more so than what could be said in, during this feud with Rusev and Tyler Breeze, which were kind of, again, a waste of time. Um, at least kind of incorporating him back into the IC title picture makes him relevant again. He's not really worthy. I mean, I know he beat Ambrose technically via DQ and beat, beat Owens via DQ on SmackDown, but. He hasn't beaten anybody in, in a, forever. Maybe beating Tyler Breeze or in a title shot. I don't know. But Owens, Ziggler, and Ambrose tonight on SmackDown. I'm looking forward to it. By the time you listen to this, it might have already happened. But And I fully expect Owens to retain, or Ambrose to retain. If Owens regains the belt, there was no point doing the title change at TLC other than to give a babyface a win on a heel-heavy show. Uh, but anyway, good stuff from Owens and Ziggler on Raw. One of the only good parts about the show. After that, and then we're going through the matches here. My awards, my thoughts on the awards I already talked about before. So I'm only going through the matches and segments. Um, Del Rio and Ziggler, or rather, I wrote down Ziggler here, but it was Jack Swagger. Um, waste of a match. I mean, it was a rematch from TLC, which I thought was a better match. That exceeded expectations. This kind of just fell flat on a show that was already, you know, dragging as it was. Uh, but it was announced that next week in Raw, we will get the return of John Cena in the Barclays Center against Del Rio in a non-title match. So that should be interesting. I thought it was kind of weird how they just kind of gave away the return of Cena through an anticlimactic announcement before Del Rio's match with Jack Swagger. Um, I thought they could have made a bigger deal about it. 
Uh, and I'm, I'm, I mean, even if it was a title match, it would make sense because Cena still technically has his rematch clause. So it wouldn't be like, oh, he's coming back to get a title shot like he did it also against Del Rio a couple years ago at Hell in a Cell when he beat him for the World Championship for no apparent reason. Like when he came back and he didn't even earn a title shot. He just came back, got a title match, his first match back and won it. But anyway, um, the match was what it was, but I'm interested to see where they go with Cena going into the new year. They might rekindle the rivalry between Del Rio and Cena for the first few weeks of 2016 just to either get the belt back on Cena, which I'd be completely fine with, to be honest with you. But if if he's facing Taker, then I don't really see why he would have the belt. But either way, though, I feel like um, I'm interested. I'm interested to see where Cena goes from here, how they get to the rumored match with Taker that I'd be looking forward to. As for Del Rio, I mean, I'm I'm hoping they don't, you know, turn this into a rematch at the Rumble, because I could not care less. I do not want to see Del Rio Cena for the millionth time. As a Raw return match, I'm fine with it, just because it makes sense from a storyline standpoint. You know, Cena was last seen getting beat by Del Rio, so it makes sense to do a rematch on Raw. But I don't want to see this turn into, like, another month or two long program where it does nothing for either guy. Cena's already on an established level, and Del Rio... Not even that, just just the fact that the matches we've seen a million times over, and they're good, but I have no interest in seeing another feed between Del Rio and Cena. So hopefully this is a one-and-done type deal. They either get the belt back on Cena, or they just move forward with Cena's next feud with Taker or whoever going into WrestleMania season. The Usos beat the New Day in a 3-on-2 handicap match on Raw last night. Fine little match. They, you know, they work well together. Um, they're obviously telling a story with the New Day going into their title defense on SmackDown tonight, you know, saying that, oh, they're on a losing streak, how they're going to be able to retain the titles. Again, I expect them to retain the championships. I, I fully expect them to retain the titles on Super SmackDown. Um, you know, why wouldn't they? They're the hottest thing going in wrestling right now. It'd be cool if the Lucha Dragons won, but I don't expect it. And as far as the Usos, um, they're good. I'm sure they're going to do another triple threat tag team title match at some point. Probably won't be ladders again, of course, but... Um, if they just do another match, um, period, you know, either at Rumble or WrestleMania even or something like that would be great. So um, I just didn't really understand why the New Day had to lose here in a three-on-two situation. It was just a bad night for the New Day all around. From this to not winning Tag Team of the Year, it was just not a good night for them. Um, Rusev beat Neville, throwaway match, don't care. Becky Lynch beat Brie Bella. The match was fine, but I was surprised they didn't do anything more with uh, Brie Bella than what they already did. Uh, not Brie Bella, I'm sorry, with uh, Becky and Charlotte. Um, they teased something, you know, for the last couple of weeks with Charlotte interrupting and involving, you know, interfering in her matches, either costing Becky the win or cheating to help her win. Not really a sign of that last night. She held up the belt a couple times before, um, after the match with, with Becky and Brie. But other than that, there was no real tension teased. Um, but again, I fully expect them to do a Becky, Brie, and why do I keep on saying Brie? Becky, Charlotte, and uh, Paige match maybe, or Becky, just Becky and Charlotte, you know, one-on-one or with Banks or whoever. Either at the Rumble or on Raw, they're obviously building towards it, but there was no real indication of where the feud is heading after last night. Dean Ambrose beat Sheamus in a steel cage match main event. Again, easily the match of the night. Nothing else really came close other than Ziggler and Owens. Um, But yeah, it was a good match. I thought it was a very good match from Ambrose and Sheamus, a very hard-hitting bout. The obvious interference was obvious, um, but the Roman Reigns coming out, the League of Nations coming out, you know, trying to help Sheamus win, Reigns trying to help Ambrose win. Again, very, very predictable, but I thought the match itself was good. couple near falls, Ambrose leaping from the top rope or leaping from the top of the cage. Ziggler, or not Ziggler, um, Sheamus hitting a white noise off the top rope, which was cool to Ambrose. So there were a couple cool spots. You know, Ambrose barely won by the skin of his teeth, so it didn't make Sheamus look too weak. Otherwise, they would have said, give Sheamus the win. The guy's coming off, his, coming off the loss of a world championship from last week. So I would have given Sheamus the victory, but... Anyway, um, I thought it was a fine match, you know, a good little main event. I mean, it was obviously the best thing in the entire show because everything else sucked for the most part. The handicap tag team match was good. The uh, It was good for what it was. Owens and Ziggler had a really good match, but everything else kind of fell flat. Um, the awards sucked. The three hours really, really dragged. I'm hoping they can kind of bounce back next week after last week's hot show. And that's it. That is it for my, re- my review of the Slammy Awards and my review of Raw from last night. And I think that's it for WrestleRant Radio for today. As always, thank you guys for listening. Always appreciate it. Once again, thanks to John Lewis for coming on the show for an exclusive interview. Next week, we got John Knapp helping me reveal the results of the 2015 WWE slash NXT Year in Review Awards, only as voted here on NextAirWrestling.net. Be sure to vote now. The polls will close after Raw next Monday. WrestleRant Radio merch coming soon. More info on that in the next couple weeks, hopefully going into 2016. Royal Rumble games coming back. GSM trivia is coming back. More details on that on the Facebook page from last week's video blog. 
And that's about it. WrestleRant Radio next year in 2016. We got Bram on the 5th. And on the 12th and 19th, we got Magnus, former TNA World Heavyweight Champion and current GFW World Champion. So two great interviews coming your way in the first few weeks of 2016. So in the meantime, and in between time, guys, be sure to check me out on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, on YouTube at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, right here on NextEraWrestling.net, new episodes of WrestleRant Radio up every single Tuesday with the exception of maybe the rare Wednesday episode as of last week. But other than that, new episodes are up every single Wednesday. We got our final episode of 2016, rather 2015. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, next week, right here with at JNAP's Ring Wrap on the Twitter. Interviews in the first few weeks of 2016 with Magnus and Bram. And that's about it. Have a great Christmas, guys. Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Three Kings Day, and everything else in between. Whatever you celebrate, hopefully you guys enjoy it. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Happy holidays from WrestleRant Radio, and we'll catch you guys down the road.